Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And stat pat to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simster, he putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation, we running the town. Yeah, it's the Profanity Nation. Profanity Nation. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Profanity Nation podcast. Yes, sir. We are the voice of the professional fan. We are your voice. We are here for you. And we have an excellent show tonight. Jam packed. Jam packed. But first, let's, uh, that's for sure. Money Mike can't wait. First, let's introduce the guys. As always, we've got Stat Pat in the house. How you doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Money Mike, how you feeling today? I'm, well, I'm good. I'm good. Lakers lost, but I'm good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and of course, myself, Simsta. So uh, we are in the house and we have a very special uh guest tonight we have andrew d bernstein in the house I'm gonna give him a clap right oh man right. uh andrew right is the author of the mamba mentality um how i play with kobe bryant he's also written a book uh within about phil jackson as well as other things and of course he is an extremely well-known nba photographer and sports photographer he, uh, he is the best in the business I mean. he has simply blazed the trail mm -hmm. so uh there is no other um but as always we're gonna get started as usual with our buddy here uh because we have always some injury updates that we want to hear so we, we like have every week <laughs> marco how are you doing i'm doing well how are you guys doing good evening good, good. Hey, good. let me you. start it off let me start it off uh oh so already, we, we, right? we, we lost by like 20 some points. So when is anybody coming back? <laughs> when is anybody coming back? Before we get started, I'm uh, um, I'm really like you guys having Andy Bernstein on here. I had the great pleasure to work with him. I have oh. to say I also have a, a signed book of one of those uh, by him. So I'm actually blessed to have one of those. Awesome. Now, yeah. As far as the injuries, I know first one was uh, Andre Drummond. He kind of came, he joined the team, and the same very first day he got stepped on. And I think, from what I recall, he kind of lost the top of his nail, and he was he's been out for maybe about one or two games. Now you would think, hey, you know what? It's a toe contusion; it shouldn't be a big deal. But but a toe injury to a basketball player, like I tell everybody, is equivalent to like a blister to a baseball pitcher. When the little blister there and the pitcher cannot throw it, they're kind of done. And the reason being is that the mechanics, how a foot operates, is that when the, the player steps on, lands with his foot and then they take off, and the last thing that, that takes off the floor and lands on the floor is their toe. So all that weight's kind of being putting pressure on that part. So what's going to happen is that once he, he, he kind of gets comfortable, he'll be able to run up and down the court. The training staff's going to probably have to put some kind of toe covering on top of it. Like I was talking to somebody earlier today, if you think of kind of kind of construction workers when they have those shoes with that little toe thing on top mm -hmm. to kind of protect them to make sure that if he gets stepped on, it doesn't hurt. So they're going to have to try to put some kind of barrier in there to protect that toe in case it does get stepped on, it doesn't aggravate it type of thing. Um, LJ, LeBron James, I know there was a whole thing between four or six weeks. I think we're only at the two-week mark, so we're still about halfway, so if we're optimistic about the four really weeks. Dragging. I know. Uh. It, it seems like it's been longer already. Um, but, it, you know, if, if everything's looking positive, what we're looking for, what we're hoping is that by this time next week, he's actually on the court moving around and taking up all next week to try to kind of do what's called a progression where he'll play, you know, he'll get on the court, play a little one-on-one, play a little two-on-two, scrimmage with the team, and eventually hopefully come in at the very, um, at the end of the four-week mark type of thing. So that's what we're hoping for the next week he gets on the court and kind of does his thing. AD, on the other hand, I think he's been out for a good six weeks. Mm -hmm. Um 
that's that's another definition because if you want to keep in mind, he, he has two different injuries, one an injury and one an issue. One's a calf strain, which usually that could take about four to six weeks because that's a power muscle. And then you also have the uh, Achilles tendonitis, which that's another issue within it. So he's got two things kind of going on. And the problem is that they may be fighting each other. Um, he may feel good with one, but then the other one takes stress. So they got to be very careful with that. And I think they are being careful with them, being smart with them about that. So, so you can't just – both from the four week thing. Let me get my little uh, ball here and try to shake it up and see what I get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a question for you, Marco. I'm, I'm curious. At this phase of the injury with LeBron, what does his day look like? What is his treatments looking like? Is it still consistent around the clock? Is it a little slower? Oh, yeah. is it, what what, no, no, what no, no. does the day look like for him at this point? His rehab is going to be consistent around the clock. He's going to be receiving two to three sessions of treatments minimum throughout the day. Now, it may not be all full kind of hands-on. Maybe it's just something as a game ready, a cold tub, stim unit, hyperbaric chamber, something. So he, at a minimum, he's probably doing something three to four times throughout the day, whether for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then a couple of snacks of treatments kind of in between. That's the way you got to kind of, kind of think about it type of thing. Plus, he's also probably he probably has what's called either some kind of compression sock in there to try to reduce any swelling, if there's still any swelling left in there or also to try to prevent any swelling from a reaccumulating type of thing. So even though he may not be getting rehab, he's doing something to his foot and his body to make sure that he either prevents any more uh, any more swelling or, or some kind of treatment that's kind of going on. Because nowadays you, you have modalities that players can kind of wear. I remember when I was with there, we would give him what's called an Ayanto unit. And it's, it was a 24, uh, 24-hour patch that would just drive medication into their body, into the side oh. to try to kind of heal up the injury. So we put the patch on, the player goes home, sleeps with it, gets everything done, comes back the next day, we take it off and roll. So he's not only just getting four or five times sessions, he's getting 24 hour clock, some kind of form of treatment to try to kind of expedite that, that healing process. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Marco, as yes, always, sir. we count on you. Thank you so much. Let everybody know, cause you know, you got that clubhouse room. Let everybody know yes, what you're doing. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Marco Nunez, you can follow me on Instagram at Marco Nunez seventeen. We're also going to be I have a a, a uh, clubhouse channel tonight, nine p.m. Pacific Standard Times every Sunday with Dr. Nima Moran, an orthopedic surgeon. He and I kind of break down all the sports injuries that occur around all the sports. So we're going to be talking today about Kirsten Polsik, uh, the Chelsea player that pulled his hamstring, and we're going to be oh, touching man. a little bit on, on Gordon Hayward's um, foot sprain that happened, I think, yesterday, uh, nine p.m. The training room on Clubhouse. Thank you guys. Well, that's good. Thank pleasure. you so much, Marco. Thank you, Marco. Marco's always great. Okay, so there's yeah. a little bit more time on LeBron. We just need to be patient. All right, so he's just going to come back next week. He's coming say. back. We got I one mean, more week next week. I mean, we're, we're both okay now because I, I was ready to jump off the ledge at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's. I mean, you saw the schedule. I mean, I mean you. I mean, looking it's not at getting like, any I mean, it's not hell. No, it's not getting any either. I mean, we're like right now at fourth and we're clinging. But I mean, getting in the playoffs, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, I don't, I mean, this is just disheartening at this point. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I always put it, I always think of it like this when I'm seeing a game like today and you're playing against a potential playoff foe. What did they learn? They didn't learn anything. No. They, 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 there's there's no uh, whiteboard material from this game that they can take if we have a healthy LeBron Man, and a healthy AD. They like we beat the Lakers. So. Yeah, well, well yeah, that's cool. That. I mean, they can have the opening day championship. They can have that Easter day championship. They can have, uh, you know, the Christmas day championships, all those championships. They can have those. Absolutely. But, you know, what's, all right. what are we playing for? All right. Now it's time to get into the show. Yeah. Guys. Okay. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Okay. This, this is good stuff right here. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so everybody again. So we are joined tonight by, by a very, very special guest. Uh, we have Andrew D. Bernstein in the house. And with no more delay, we're going to go ahead and welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew. Yay. Thank you for joining us uh we've really wanted you on our show for a long time and we're just so honored to have you 
Um, if you don't know anybody, you're crazy. But if you don't know, um, how, you not? how can you not know? <laughs> uh, Andrew is a, a best-selling author. He is uh, wrote. The Kobe Bryant, the Mama well, Mentality, the, How photos. I Play. All the photos. All the photos uh, that he's always taken, of course. Um, he's not only the the NBA photographer, I will say, the Laker photographer. He is a podcast podcast host. He is an interviewer. He does everything. Andrew, thank you for joining us. How are you tonight? I'm great, fellas. I'm great. You know, I was at the game this afternoon, and uh, – it was kind of weird, you know, seeing Rondo on the other team. And, that is strange. And the, and the Morris brothers going at it. And uh, Trez is talking to Bomber. I don't know what's going on. Over <laughs> you like that flex, though, right? You, yeah, you like, cool. like the, the flex, he just said, um, um, I was at the game today. Yeah. <laughs> and we were well, like, we're I thought, I thought, um, the yeah, 15th April, is, I thought it was April 15th. I mean, when uh, <laughs> he, he gets a pass. You know, yeah. I believe yeah. It was me and like four of my friends at the game. See, oh, oh, nice. Okay. Well, so anyone's going to get in there. You I got to get on that list. Just man. Definitely what I, what I hey. Obviously, there's levels to this, right? <laughs> now, now with that, um, the NBA is opening up soon. The, the stadiums are opening, but that, that's a whole different subject we'll get to. I'd like to start uh, directly with you, Andy. Um, you started your career with the Lakers, correct? At least what we're talking about this in the PR department. Is that correct? Sometime around yeah. 1982? Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I was an assistant for Sports Illustrated and uh, coming out, I was going to Art Center in Pasadena and I was working as an assistant. I learned how to do some lighting of indoor arenas with strobes and primarily at the forum. So I kind of made friends with, um, you know, the Kings and the and the Laker folks and everyone who worked at the forum at the time. And, and I kind of got in through the PR department that, you know, that's pretty accurate. But I was uh, kind of made my mark with the NBA first. Um, the 83 All-Star Game, which was at the Forum, which was my first gig with the NBA. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fortunate. I was in the right place at the right time. You know, Showtime was just taken off and, um, and they needed photos back at the league office. And one thing led to the other, you know, and I helped to create NBA photos in 1986. And that's, yep. you know, been been kind of like the trademark uh, moving forward for NBA photography. So, yeah, that kind of like leads me into um, uh, my question. Um, so you're saying that you got the 83 um, All-Star game. And I want to know how, you know, was that the most significant boost to you in your career to getting to you where you're at? Like, was that the moment where it just everything just fell into place? You know, that's a great question. Um, that was the, the start of it. Yes, that was the first uh, major step. I had made some small steps. You know, I was working for a uh, for the defunct um, North American Soccer League team called the LA Aztecs, and I was you know doing whatever freelance work I could do, and mostly assisting work, quite frankly. And I was learning really on the job from the guys I was working with. Um, but that '83 All Star Game, you know, I mean, looking back at it, and and also at the time, it was it was a significant step. Yes. Because um, a year after that, I became the Dodgers team photographer. Mm. And like I said, the NBA was starting to really depend on me to, to travel all over the place to get photos for them. Because an archive did not exist at the NBA league office, if you can believe it. Mm. Even going backwards, they didn't have an archive of photos. So when David Stern became commissioner in 84, his mandate to the league was, hey, we got to start documenting our sport. And, uh, you know, I was I was definitely fortunate to be 
at the beginnings of all of that with the advent of NBA entertainment, um, you know, archiving, of course, on the video side, and then NBA photos moved to NBA entertainment. So we're all part of that one big happy family over there. Absolutely. Nice. Um, I, I'm curious, if, if you don't mind, um, you brought up Dodgers and so forth. What are the major, there must be some, I mean, obviously some major differences between photographing a basketball court versus a huge baseball field. Um, I'm assuming, I'm just going to guess that because you've gravitated and been so successful in basketball that you might prefer that a little bit more. But uh, what are some of the differences there? Well, I spent 11 years working for the Dodgers and that's a lot of boring baseball games. You know, <laughs> six weeks of spring training, um, then, you know, 81 home games and playoffs and all that. But, you know, it, it's definitely different. I mean, uh, you know, like you said, you know, like soccer, like football, any outdoor sport is kind of far away from you. You know, uh, basketball, I'm right there under the basket. Hockey, right there, you know, a hole cut in the boards, guys crashing into me all night long. So I kind of like being in the mix. I kind of like, and I also, by the way, like being inside when I don't have to deal with the elements. <laughs> I, I, I shot one football game at the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium and literally almost froze to death. <laughs> and and I'm a New Yorker, so I you know, I grew up in oh, saying yeah. something there, yeah. And then I'm like, if I'm gonna shoot football, it's gonna be the West Coast. You know, I might go to San Francisco and have to wear a jacket. You know, but I'm not, there's no right. chance I'm going back to Cleveland or New York or any of those places. God forbid, you know, Green Bay or anything. Oh no, not that. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, you know, so we see that you love to be inside. So it's great that the Lakers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> had you come in. But did you really become a Laker fan, or you just uh, just shooting them, or did you become a fan of the Lakers also? Well, see, the thing is, if you're a fan, then you know you run the risk of of not doing your job at the, uh -huh. at the highest possible level because I don't want to be I don't want to be emotionally attached to the game. Um, during the game. Now, after the game, you know, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of NBA basketball across the board. You know, I, I started working for the Clippers in 84 when they moved to LA. So, you know, I love hoops. Um, but during the game, I can't uh, be rooting, um, obviously, because, uh, you know, if I take my eye off the out of the camera, I might as well be at home, you know, watching it on my couch. Uh, you know, I'm not doing it what they're paying me to do. But, um, but yeah, it's hard, it was hard not to be a fan of the Showtime era. I mean, that was a magical time for all of us. And then of course, you know, Shaq and Kobe and, and the Phil Jackson era, and then Kobe by himself with the, the back to backs, you know, and then, you know, mix that in with my overall NBA job, you know, covering the league itself with Michael Jordan and all the great stars across the board, you know, and of course this new generation, with uh, the Warriors and Durant and all these guys. It's, you know, it's been fun. It's amazing. Um, how aware of you, are you during the, you said you can't be a fan, but how aware are you of the flow and the momentum? Obviously the, the crowd screaming, but just like a player, when they're at the free throw line, they can tune that out. How aware are you of the moments that are happening in the game? I have to be super aware. I have okay. to know what's going on. I have to know what the matchups are. Um, if, if somebody is approaching a milestone, of course, you know, um, a major milestone like, you know, Kobe passing um, MJ or LeBron passing Kobe. I mean, obviously those are huge. But if a guy is, you know, 
is shooting lights out from from three and he's got seven, eight, nine in a row. I have to know that, you know, because they're going to ask me for that picture. Um, not the player, but the NBA people and the, and the content people I work with. Sure. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then all this, this, the nuances, you know, at Staples Center, we have a lot of celebrities. Um, that's really important to be able to document that there's interaction between, you know, the coaching staff and the players, the players and, the, and, and themselves. Um, so I, I have to be incredibly aware. Um, you know, one of my trademarks, honestly, is I don't sit and talk to other people around me during a game. And that always was sort of kind of misconstrued as being a little aloof, but you know, I, if I start talking to the photographer next to me or the video guy or the fan behind me and, and somebody dunks or there's some crazy moment and I miss it, I will be like kicking myself for a week after that. Mm -hmm. So, and I learned my lesson on that because as a, as a young photographer, I, I wasn't as disciplined and uh, you know, it did kick me in the butt. <laughs> Anything specific? Oh, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah, there's, there was a there was a Blake Griffin dunk. Um, it was probably about nine, ten years ago, like Blake's second or third year. And I don't know what happened. I got caught. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder behind me or something. And <laughs> instead of ignoring him, I sort of turned around. The dunk happened on the other end of the court where all of my remotes are. And you know, normally I would be paying attention and push the button and I didn't. And uh, I never talked to that person again, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, no names mentioned, I'm assuming. I see a replay of that. Yeah, and it just it just sticks with me, man. I That's the one that got away. So that leads me into my next question because I saw when um, Dwight and, uh, and Green were in town and mm -hmm. they got their rings and they posed for you. Like, yeah. And I saw you go up and you click, click, and you made sure you got everything. So they know to do that now. But yeah. when did when did that start happening? They know, okay, Andy is coming, and and, <laughs> and I have to wait for him to take the picture of us. When did that start happening? That started with Magic. I have to tell you, Magic always knew where the cameras were. Um, he got to know where I was. Um, we had this sort of telepathic thing going. And then Shaq, of course, was the king. I mean, the absolute king of knowing where the cameras were at all times. You know? And yeah. knowing where I was. And he'd be giving me the eyeball, you know, like, on the, <laughs> or on the bench or on the bus or wherever it was. And, uh, you know, Kobe was much more discreet about it, you know, and, and uh, picked his moments and, I don't really remember Kobe ever really sort of asking for a picture the way Shaq used to in the moment, you know, but that, that's what made them different and made them so special. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So Andy, so that's, that's great that you were, um, you were talking about like, you know, Shaq and, and Kobe and magic and us knowing where the camera, is, but it has to be your relationship with the players that allow you to have that kind of access. So it leads me to my question. So how important it is to your profession um, to have to build that rapport with the players, to be able to just know them on a personal level. So when you do go and shoot the, the you know, those pictures that you're able to get like what we would look like what comes out of those pictures, something warm, like natural. something natural. Yeah. So, yeah. How is it? I mean, how, how important? I mean, I'm I probably going to answer the question for you. I want to hear your take on it. But how important is rapport to your to your job? Well, for what I do, it's extremely important. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm trusted 
by the league or the team to be around these players and coaches and management. And, you know, if, if I was difficult to work with or I made it about myself, you know, or, um, you know, didn't respect their time or, or privacy, um, I would have had a pretty short career. <laughs> and, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys a funny story. Um, you might've heard this story, but I love telling this story that as a young photographer, I was, I was, and this is where Kobe and I sort of were very similar because as a young basketball player, you know, he just wanted to get in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get in the game as a young photographer. And to me, getting in the game was not just sitting on the baseline or the sideline and shooting from sort of the outside. I want to get in the inside. So Pat Riley would, would, be, you know, having his huddle or his meeting, you know, during a timeout or before the game. And I'd be inching my way in and he would always see me and he would give me one of these with maybe a choice finger or so. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, Schenectady language uh, <laughs> out of the huddle. And I did, I kept doing it. And then I stopped and then a couple of games later, he, he motioned for me to come over during, during the uh, pregame. And, and I'm thinking, okay, that's, you know, my career was good and it lasted. <laughs> and, and he, he looked at me straight in the eye. He goes, hey, kid. And I was a kid then, granted. Um, he says, hey, kid. He says, why the hell you keep coming to try to cover my huddle every time I try to, and I kick you out? Why do you keep coming in? And I said, because, coach, I want to see what you're doing. And if I want to see what you're doing in the huddle with Magic and Kareem and Bill Burka and Gary Beatty and all the guys, you know, the fans want to see that, too. And I want to be able to show that, you know. And he, he looked at me and he goes, OK, all right, kid. And he said, I'll tell you what, you you can do it one time tonight. OK, once. But if you screw it up and he didn't use the word screw, by the way, if you if you screw it up, you're never coming back in. <laughs> right? Wow. Okay. No pressure. Right. This is a true story. So I go in, I do my thing. Next game before the game, I go I go into the coach's office and I bring him a couple of prints of, of that moment. Right. In the huddle. And he he looks at the prints. He looks up at me, goes, you were in my huddle. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good, coach. I'm coming back. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. And then you know the guys see that you know, and you know Kareem, of course, very reserved, but he saw that you know I, I had I had started some trust going, and Jerry West was great, Mitch Kupchak was great, um, you know, Doctor Bus always was so welcoming, and you know that just sort of mushroomed. Then you know with Jeannie, and then when Phil came in, and once Kobe came in, I, I had been in the league 13 years at that point. So I guess my reputation had preceded me and I, you know, I did my best not to screw it up. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Well, you've done it. You've done a hell of a job. Let me tell you. Um, I have a question really quick. Uh, with all the pictures, do you, do you get a sense when there is that moment that you just captured history? Uh, in that picture or yeah. is it when you go back and you're able to reflect on those those images well you know yeah I, I, I don't know about history but I know instinctively if, if it was a good picture you know I, I can't you know if it, if it happens in front of me and I shoot it through the camera I'm shooting you know with and I can look on the back of the screen now which we didn't have that privilege mm-hmm. you know back in the Perfect. film days um, you know it feels good to see that when the when the action happens opposite from me, where my five or six remotes are located, I, I don't know exactly you know what I got, but we're shooting almost live coverage. You know, yep. as I shoot, the uh, the cameras are tethered 
to an editor back in New Jersey at NBA Photos, and that editor is receiving photos as they happen and picking them out, captioning really quick, getting them out to Getty Images to the world. So today, for example, at the end of the first quarter, you know, Rondo makes his his debut. It's important to have photos of Rondo in the game, first game for the Clippers, of course. And uh, by the end of the first quarter, three, four, five pictures of Rondo in action were already out there to the world. Yep. You know, back in the old days, it wasn't like that. We had, <laughs> right. it, was, it was a day or two before anybody ever saw the photos because it was shot on film. So well, one second, money, okay. Andrew. Thank you very much. We have to pay a bill really quick. Yeah, we got to do that. So we got to pay a bill. This is outstanding. I don't want to break it up. We're rolling, but I, we have to do this. We're going to pay a bill really quick. Thank you, everybody, for sticking around. This is the Profanity Nation, of course. We have Andrew D. Bernstein with us. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hey, guys. You got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family-owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant, and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley, and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org. All right, we are here. We are at the Profanity Nation podcast. As always, Stat Pat, because <laughs> Money Mike, you just said, yeah, it's like, <laughs> we switched streets today. Hey. Uh, Stat Pat, <laughs> Money Mike, Simsta's here. And of course, uh, we have Andrew D. Bernstein with us and the book, Kobe Bryant, The Mama Mentality. And Andy was so gracious enough to sign a copy that we are giving away. Man. Okay, so we are giving it away. At the end of this broadcast, we are going to be into the uh, Los Angeles Lakers fan club room on Clubhouse. That's right. And in order to qualify to win this book, you just have to do two things. Number one, you have to text Lakers to 22828. Text Lakers to 22828. That will allow you to join our email list. Okay. Then there you go. I like that sound. Already, well. Then yeah. you need to <laughs> then you need to hop on Clubhouse uh, at the end of our show and be in that uh, the fan Los Angeles Lakers fan club room. And if we have your email from signing up and you're in that room, we're gonna announce a winner and somebody's gonna get this amazing book signed by Andy. Thank you so much, Andy. Mm-hmm. Okay, money mike. So, Andy, I, you know, you're only one person, so you have one camera, or I'm assuming, <laughs> or maybe two around your neck, maybe. So you realize at some point in time that you had to get multiple cam- cameras, get multiple shots, multiple angles. And then, you know, and we noticed it, like, all of a sudden, we started seeing Jordan coming up from behind the backboard. How did you even come up with those, that concept of doing things like that? Well, I got to go back to uh, to the godfathers of sports photography who really um, invented the, these incredible angles of remote cameras, you know, back in the 60s, really. Um, John Zimmerman, uh, Neil Leifer, Walter Gios, um, these were the guys who, who really pioneered these remote cameras and, uh, you know, to do it the way they did it in those days with the kind of archaic equipment that they had and the old arenas and stuff. It's just blows my mind. So when photographers of my generation started coming up, um, you know, we were learning from those guys and we were learning from disciples of them, of those guys. So the photographers I work with at sports illustrated, um, they did all these remote cameras 
And I learned how to do that. So when I started working myself for the NBA freelancing, um, it was natural that I would put up these remote cameras. But the caveat, the whole thing is, is that I work on a system of, of strobes, these gigantic flashes, which you probably notice even on TV yep. but when you're at Staples, these big flashes go if off. If you look for it, you notice it. If not, yeah. you do Exactly. And, you know, to a fan, it seems like, oh, somebody's taking flash pictures or something. But these are gigantic units that are up in the catwalk at the arenas. And the uh, the real limitation of strobes, the one great thing about it is that you get beautiful lighting from it. But the limitation is you can only take one picture in, in four seconds, every four seconds, because it takes that much time for them to power themselves back up and recharge. So it's not like a motor drive where you go, you know, and you get, you just pick an image out of like 12 frames in a second. I have to time it to, so I get one shot and then I have to count in my head, one, two, three, four, and then I can shoot again. And the problem is if you shoot too fast, <laughs> they, they blow. They, I mean, it's just like a fuse in your house, you know, it just wow. blows and that's the end of it. You can't reset it or anything. So, it was a it was a challenge back in the early days because you could only do one remote camera with one set of strobes, right? Uh -huh. And so you had your cameras in front of you where you get shot from, and then you had a remote on the other side. And the case in point of that is my Jordan through the glass uh, photo, which is the "Come Fly with Me." I think you've seen that mm -hmm. preseason game against the Lakers, and that was one remote camera. So. During the Jordan era, when he was dunking so much, we at the NBA thought, how cool would it be to get multiple angles of the same dunk? And we were specifically talking about Jordan because there were more and more licensees coming on board who needed photos. And they can't obviously use the same. You can't sell the same photo to two different you know, card companies or two different magazines or poster companies. But you can sell the same moment, <laughs> just not the same picture, right? right. So we, uh, we, we developed with these MIT um, engineers, seriously, a system of these radio-controlled units that attach to the remote cameras so that when I push a button, five, six, seven, maybe ten cameras can go off at one time. Wow. Right? So, you know, you, when Kobe was dunking like crazy when he was young, you could get conceivably five amazing shots of Kobe from that same moment, right? This this is a perfect example, the one you just put up. Mm -hmm. That was the All-Star game. Okay, that's one angle, um, and it's the best angle. You know, it looks great. Um, but there were probably seven or maybe ten other angles of that same dunk. So it was um, – you know, it was a revenue producing uh, kind of initiative that we had at the NBA, but it was also creative as well because, you know, where could we put cameras that were never put before, that had never been placed before? This is another example. This was an overhead, um, a, a big Hasselblad for your camera buff fans out there, mm. hanging off the catwalk of the forum with a lens, a 350 millimeter lens, which is about almost two feet long, you know, God. and uh, I triggered that from underneath the other side of the court. I had no wow. idea what this was going to look like. So, you know, it, it, was, it was shot on film. I drop it off at the lab at night. I go next morning and, yes. I, and I'm like, oh, this is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yes, yes. Right, let's, let's put up one more pick here. Yeah. This actually got a lot of uh, play. Yeah. When this 
it was taken here. Uh, this yeah. was amazing itself. Was this from a remote or was this from uh, one you were holding? No, this is a remote. In fact, if, if you if you were able to zoom in on this under the opposite basket, which you really can't, you know, mm -hmm. right now, but if you if fans could look at it, I am actually under that other basket. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, sure. like this with a trigger button. Seriously. Oh, and I'm, as you, you guys have seen this play a million times on the replay, but uh -huh. you know, LeBron gets a loose ball, takes off, right? So I have about two seconds to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. And I look up. And, you know, I know, kind of know when to time it, but it was such a bizarre way that he went up with the ball on his hip, as you remember. Guys mm -hmm. don't do that. Now, sometimes when they do that, they will then do a windmill reverse, right? Yeah. Or I don't know what, what he was thinking, quite honestly. But I knew at just in, this, in the moment when that ball left his hip that I had to push the button. <laughs> otherwise, if, you know, you look at this, a millisecond later, the ball would have been in his face, and mm -hmm. I get and I get one shot. That is, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Amazing. You, to, you guys want to hear the story about this angle, though? How, yes, this is, of course. Okay. Yes. All right. So back in the day, we used to we used to put these cameras. They were two and a quarter Hasselblad or or thirty five millimeter Nikon cameras, literally on the floor, off to the side you know, the first spot under the stanchion, but not under the basket per se. And a, an assistant had to sit with it because if a player came tumbling into him, the assistant had to pull the camera out and protect the player, you know, take the hit because, you know, we didn't want a player to get hurt. Well, players started to get hurt. Players started to fall into these cameras. Uh, the NBA ruled that it was, they were too close. And, and lo and behold, the NBA pulls those cameras off the court, right? And it was a great angle. I mean, it gave us, all of us, all of the NBA photographers, um, a great angle to shoot stuff. And I was just mortified. Like, I'm losing my best camera angle, you know? So I spent the summer trying to figure out what to do. And I had a, I had a, a thought. And I went to meet with Lee Zyvan, who's the head of Staples Center, my good friend. And I said, I said, Lee, how about this? You know, you got this pad that is in the front of the stanchion, you know, that the player, you know, if they run into the basket, they hit this pad, right? The pad behind it is hollow. It's like there's nothing behind it except the actual structure. How about I cut a hole in the bottom of the pad and I stick the camera in it on the floor and it protects the player. They can't hit the camera because the pad is there, right? But it gives me this amazing symmetrical view of Wow. everything you know and he thought i was nuts but he let me do it in the preseason and i showed it to him and he loved it and uh, then i had to sell it to the nba people because for it to be able to do it during the regular season and, and the all-star game and and then it's become the standard so you go into any nba arena now and that hole is on both sides both stanchions and everyone across the league is doing it Hmm. Hey man, you got to patent all your ideas, man. I, I forgot, it should have been the Andy Hole right there. I don't know what. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's it. We can play. Uh, that's a okay name. Got to patent that, man. So you know, you you have so many. Uh, we had Jeff Hamilton on our show, mm. and uh, you know, yeah. he, there's a photo with. With Kobe like in the ice bucket, you know, holding the championship trophy in the shower, in, in the shower, and it's been immortalized by many mural artists mm -hmm. all around the you know city. I've I've seen it many times. Mm -hmm. What's that feeling like? Now, first of all, you know, 
how do you get in and you see like he, you feel like he's kind of concentrating? How do you get in and take that picture without disrupting them? And then how does it feel to see when you drive down L.A. that iconic photo that you took all on walls all over the city? Well, I'm glad you, you had Jeff Hamilton on. He's one of my great friends. And uh, I love Jeff. I love everything that he brought to the NBA, that how he brought fashion into the mm. league his jackets. I mean, yeah. I had him on my podcast and he's just an amazing guy. Um, but you know, it, my job is to get photos like that. Okay. So I, I, myself, Nat Butler, who's sort of my cohort on the East coast, we're the first guys into the locker room when the team wins the championship. I actually was, was the only photographer Phil Jackson would let in first all 11 of his championships. Um, wow. I, you know, that's, that's something I'm very proud of. In the, in the second his second championship, um, he he reluctantly just knew I wasn't going away, you know. So he's like, "All right," <laughs> and then that just kept snowballing. Um, so when that moment happened with Kobe in the shower, um, first of all, I had to find Kobe because all hell was breaking loose in the locker room, chaos like you wouldn't believe, and there was no Kobe, and uh, I knew he had to be somewhere because he couldn't leave, and. I just kind of went on a seek and destroy mission, actually, just trying to find him, you know. And it, there he was in the shower, and he had the trophy, had Jeff's jacket on. And now to see that that photo, as well as other moments um, in Kobe's career, immortalized on murals uh, throughout L.A. and throughout the world. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had my good friend Mike Asner on yet, who's, who does the KobeMural.com site. And we've, we've spoken to him. He's going yeah. to be on. Yes. Uh, Mike is amazing. And, uh, you know, Mike tracks every mural across the world of Kobe and Gigi. There's over 500 murals now. Right. And his site is amazing. Yeah. And it's very timely, very timely you're having me on right now because um, I commissioned with my building owner in South Pasadena a mural of Kobe. Wow. Um, and it was painted by the amazing artist Jonas Never, who finished it yesterday, actually. Oh, and wow. the mural will actually uh, be, there's a soft unveiling for the mural. We can't have an event because of COVID. But the, the mural is taken from a photo that I shot, the last photo of Kobe walking off the court for the last time on April 13th, 2016, after he wow. Married me. You guys, you guys are good. I got to say. <laughs> you guys are doing it. You got some research here. Well, that's good. So that's the photo. And Jonas painted the wall. It looks, it, it's amazing what he did. And, uh, you know, I am so humbled by the fact that these artists across the world have taken my photos and, and my friends' photos, all my friends who've shot Kobe throughout the years, and to drive down LA, you know, and see it and see these incredible murals it's just um it's, i'm almost speechless honestly really it's really amazing i know vanessa loves them um she knows that it's a great tribute to kobe and gigi that that the fans um you know mike created the site because there was there was so much grief out there that right. muralists were expressing creatively their grief but there needed to be a central place where everyone could go to experience these murals as a group and uh it, it, it's amazing to me what's happened across the world, um, the community of, of artists as well as fans. Truly. So I have, um, I don't know which question I want to go ahead and say, because <laughs> um, I'm going to start with the dream team. So I know that you're, you did the 92 dream team. Obviously it's a, you know, um, 
being like in, in 45. So it's like 16 years old, 1992. I, I'm, it's the biggest thing out there. I mean, it's the dream team, right? And you have the iconic photos of, you know, Magic Jordan Bird. Um, you have just, it's things that we just live with. Um, how was that experience? Because we all hear about like, it was like a rock star kind of atmosphere, you know, the following and how everyone was just going around in Barcelona, just following them wherever they go. How was that being there, able to take all those pictures and being able just to capture all of that? I tell you, man, I had to pinch myself a few times because, A, you know, when they they tapped me to – the NBA tapped me to follow the team uh, from day one of training camp, which is in San Diego. Um, and then fast forward seven weeks later, you know, they're getting the gold medal in Barcelona. I, I just, like – couple of times looked around and said, am I really doing this? I mean, <laughs> this is like amazing. Um, it was so great because I really got to be behind the scenes with these guys and, and see them as people and get to know them and see how they interacted with each other. But, you know, they, of course they had their families there and everything. And it was a wonderful experience. I mean, if I, I I'll say this all the time, if I could have retired after that, you know, um, which I couldn't, of course, but uh, <laughs> it would have been an, an amazing career by that point. What a way to walk away. Yeah, right? That would have been incredible. And, it, you know, looking back, it's taken on such mythic proportions. But, but even at the time, it was it was pretty mythic. I mean, you know, yeah. other teams, opposing teams asking for selfies during the game, you know, I mean, yeah. It was it, 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 it wasn't even selfies back then. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> exactly. Please well, send it to me somewhere. And I also yeah. want to ask, ask you also, Jeff, you know, when, I mean, excuse me, um, Andy, um, when it comes to um, just the um, being able to take pictures of athletes that you normally wouldn't take pictures of. So, for example, if you were taking pictures of like, you know, you have the access of magic and, you know, you have the, the, the Lakers, but it's like taking a picture of, I mean, I know you take pictures with all of them, but just being able to take the, the stock in them alone, the, like just mm-hmm. being able to get those pictures because they have their own guy, but just like now you're the guy that's taking a picture of Stockton or Barkley or, you know, or Patrick Ewing. Like these are the, like, we're, we're, that's why the pictures were so iconic for me because I know about the magic, you know, I know about the, the, the Laker pictures, but when I was able to see, you know, magic interacting with all the us it's not an all-star game you know the east and the west it's like east and west combined <laughs> and, and 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 they're all happy it was like weird because you hear about all these rivalries and stuff like that but then you see these pictures and everyone's having a ball everyone's in magic and bird and you're like what this doesn't even make any sense here but they love each other and they, they're just you guy jordan and it's like it just it just when I'm looking at those pictures, it's very nostalgic because I can go back and remember how like I was just, you know, in awe of just the event. But then the way you just captured everything. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. And it was uh, it was challenging at times. You know, I, I was always on call. You never knew when something was going to happen or when they would need me and ended up going to the golf course with Michael Jordan. I mean, that. I'll carry that forever with me, you know, <laughs> in Monte Carlo and um, walking down the Rambles with Charles Barkley at three o'clock in the morning in, in Barcelona, <laughs> some crazy stuff, but it, it was legendary, you know, and, and uh, you know, looking back at it, I, I still, sometimes I don't believe I actually did it, you know, because it, mm. it's now a lot of years behind, but when I see those guys and we have some laughs and 
I send pictures every once in a while. You know, I just sent Charles a picture from the Romblas, you know, and he, <laughs> he goes, man, that was fun. It's just, <laughs> it's wonderful when your job sort of, um, it, it's not a job, you know, mm -hmm. it, right. I mean, it's your living and it's your livelihood and, and everything, but it, it's also fun. And it's also about the relationships most of all. Mm, absolutely. I have a question for you. It, 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 I don't even know if this is possible, but um, do you have an all-time favorite pick that you've taken? Oh. Yeah, well, that's a tough one, man, because, you know, I know you guys are Lakers-oriented. Okay, um, top five. Okay. You, you can say top five. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I always say I got four kids, right? So if, if I call out one of my kids is my favorite, you know, that I'm in oh, the doghouse with the other three. <laughs> so... Um, you know, the, the Jordan holding Michael Jordan holding the trophy photo, first championship with his dad yeah. next to Michael's crying. That, you know, if I'm if I'm remembered for one picture, I hope it's that one. Um, yeah. because that was such a moment in time that has has just taken on epic proportions, right? Um you know, Kobe in the cooler picture, uh the black and white one, I, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, there was some moments with Shaq, of course, with magic with the dream team. So it's, it's hard to really pinpoint, you know, but if you look at different eras, of course, um, you know, that that's important too, to, to like what photo from that era really defined it and magic and bird intertwined right. um, in the 87 finals, David Stern, like he pointed to that photo as sort of, as, as the statement of the era, you know, and that was, you know, when your boss, says something like that, you know, that makes it actually more important <laughs> yeah. that, that you shot that. So it feels cool. good. Yeah. So I have one more um, question. Um, and so I know since you've been, you know, the Laker photographer forever. Um, so um, you've taken pictures uh, at the forum and you're also taking pictures, obviously, at Staples. Can you explain like the ambiance of both of those venues and how different how how different it was when you when we moved from uh, the forum and into Staples? You know how is how is the photography? Because one thing we know about the Lakers and the, the ambiance, it's got the the dim lighting. It's just like you have that kind of like that Hollywood like a a show kind of feel mm -hmm. like you're on Broadway. So just you know, can you explain a little bit about that? You know, the ambiance of, of both of those venues for me. Yeah, well, the first experience I had from going from, you know, an old school arena to a new one was in Chicago. So when, you know, during the Bulls run, they went from Chicago Stadium, which was ancient, uh, basically dilapidated, <laughs> falling down, but had this incredible ambiance to it. And the fans were so close. And then they go to United Center and it's, you know, it's 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 one of the new waves of arenas. You know, the Palace had opened before that in, in Auburn Hills where the Pistons played. So it was, you know, it, it's the same game, but it's in a different sort of environment. Like it's almost like going to Fenway Park and then going to Yankee Stadium or something, you know. Um, so when I went from the Forum to Staples Center, it was the same kind of feeling. I, I felt like now I'm in this giant arena but I still got to do what I do, you know, and the, and the way I do it. And there's still going to be locker rooms. There's still going to be, you know, the court is still the same. The baskets are the same height. The fans are still there. Maybe they're a little further out, you know, maybe there's more of them, but the forum had this, uh, this intimacy that was um, really second to none. I mean, the fans were right there. As you remember, it really was, it didn't really have two different levels. I mean, it, 
it had the lower bowl and the upper bowl, but you know, it was all, you could walk from the bottom to the top, you know, without ever having to go outside into the concourse. And, uh, you know, for, for a photographer, I'll give you an example. The, the ceiling from the floor to the catwalk was uh, 72 feet, I believe, at the Forum. At Staples Center, it's 195 feet. Wow. <laughs> and, and if you ever look up at Staples Center, and you can see it from the outside, it's, the, it's a slanted roof. So yeah. one side, I, I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's the south side is higher than the north side. You know? uh-huh. So that makes it a little tricky when you're doing um, strobe, you know, setting them up and putting remotes in and things like that. Um, but what the Lakers did, and I think it took them a couple of years to figure this out, but they brought the lighting from the forum, which was this directional sort of theatrical lighting into Staples Center. And they were the first team to really do that other than the Knicks. The Knicks have that sort of same lighting in Madison Square Garden, almost, um, like I said, like a stage. So when you see the difference between a Laker game and a Clipper game, it's just, yeah. it's yes. right? but the Lakers are using supplemental lighting on trusses. They're not using the lighting that's in the ceiling. And it creates this sort of theatrical look where it's just the court is lit and then about five six rows up it goes dark almost mm-hmm. darkness like the forum did the forum was beautiful like that you know mm-hmm. you would see maybe 10 or 12 rows up and then into blackness and you know guys flying through that it was almost like um ufos like landing you know <laughs> i actually recall i was i was at i believe the first game they did that they called it lights out and they yeah, actually t-shirts. yeah yeah i was at that game yeah and then, and then the NBA adopted that. If you if you've seen the All Star games from I don't know last ten years or so, yeah, they bring that they, lighting. They actually bring that same lighting in, so yep. it's a beautiful effect. Nice. Yeah. So so, <laughs> let me ask you. Um, you you can say no, you don't. Do you have <laughs> pictures of the Forum Club. That's <laughs> you know, you know, funny. Of, of what was going on in the Forum Club? <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, it's really funny. I only went to the Forum Club a few times because after a game, it's about an hour and a half breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. And keep in mind, I was doing this by myself back in the Forum days. Maybe I had an assistant every once in a while. But by the time I was able to get to the Forum Club, you know, it was pretty much done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <still working. laughs> so I, heard, I heard probably the same stories you guys heard. Okay. I, I did go to a couple of events there, but I had to photograph them. So it wasn't like I was, you know, partaking in the fun, but it was, it was definitely um, legendary. Um, People loved going there. It was a tiny little place that had maybe like an eight foot ceiling at the most, you know, dark. Little boots all over the place. It's an interesting place, man. So you weren't that impressed with it, huh? <laughs> well, you know, they, they asked for some photos, which was cool. They were hanging some of my photos in the forum club. But, um, you know, I wish that I had had the time, even now, even at Staples. You know, when I'm done with a game, you know, some people – they, they go up to the arena club, you know, yeah. San Manuel Club, or they'll go to the Hyde Lounge. I don't do any of that. I go home. <laughs> I gotta, I'm old now, and I got to get up. And- <laughs> right. I've been there, done that. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about the Mama Mentality book, because uh, all your photos are in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you able to find every photo that Kobe asked for? Because I know. And what did you learn during that experience uh, in helping him with the book? Well, it was it was an amazing learning process, I got to tell you. And he he came up with some 
some head scratchers that I just, I'm like, dude, I, I can't find, I mean, I don't think it exists, <laughs> but <laughs> we probably, I, I think it's fair to say we probably found 90 to 95% of what he wow. was looking for. And when I say we, I had to rely on some editors, some great editors back at NBA photos in New Jersey, because keep in mind half of his career, 10 years of his career was shot on pre-digital on film. And all of that is archived back at the NBA office. So when he would ask for a photo of, of you know, him playing against Bruce Bowen in the 2003 finals or whatever, and, you know, I'd have to a remember that I actually shot it, but then I got to hope that somebody back in Jersey can actually find it in the file. And then it speaks to what he wants to speak to. Um, that was a challenge for sure. And what I learned was that, he didn't look at pictures like the rest of us look at pictures, right? You, you and I, you know, there's a picture of him and of Kobe and Michael Jordan, young Kobe, you know, elder statesman Jordan, you know, student mentor, whatever you want to call it. You know, to me, that makes it's a nice picture. It, it photographically, it's you know, com composition wise, it looked. He didn't care about any of that stuff. What he cared about is what is going on in that picture that can teach somebody something or that he learned himself about the way he played D against Jordan or the wow. way, you know, and, and in that, this one particular photo in the book, when people, you know, the lucky winner gets that book, mm -hmm. see that photo of Kobe D and up Jordan and Kobe's caption that he wrote was everything I'm doing in this photo is wrong. <laughs> you know, you think wow. about a, a guy of his magnitude, writing something like that in his own book, right? That's awesome. So he wanted people to see, you know, what he, what was he doing wrong? His feet were in the wrong place. His elbow was in the wrong place. He was looking, he wasn't looking at Michael's, you know, midsection. He was looking at his eyes, which he shouldn't have been doing. His, his you know, his hips would turn wrong. So he would break down my photos, you know, like a science experiment. I mean, he would literally like dissect them. Um, and he didn't want a book of what he called, quote unquote, beautiful photos. He wanted a book that was going to teach people what made the Mamba tick, right? And what are the tenets of the Mamba mentality in his mind. How I put it. Yeah, from his point of view, not somebody else's point of view, but him. And that was, that's what made this, made this book and this collaboration so amazing for me. Vintage Kobe, right? That's amazing work. <laughs> it's amazing work too. Um, okay, so so as we as we touched on, um, we know our time is is kind of running out here, but I, I'd love to talk to you a little bit more, uh, really quick. Was it a natural progression from you to go from from photographer to author and interviewer, um, and of course, eventually podcast host? What was that like? Did that feel very natural? Did that feel awkward at all, or or what was that like? Well, you know, it's interesting. The author part. Uh, it sort of came just vis-a-vis -vis my photography. You know, my first book was in 95, I believe. And it was just kind of a greatest hits at that point of my photography. And then, um, you know, when Phil and I partnered on the book in 2010, um, 20, 2009 and 10 for that championship year, um, he was really the author of the book. I mean, he wrote it, but he and I collaborated on, on the structure of the book. And then, um, as you remember, the Lakers um, – signed this gigantic deal with Time Warner at the time, as you know. Yeah. And the first thing I thought about was, well, they're going to have a 24-hour 
Laker channel? Like, yeah. how, many, how many times do they replay the 85 finals? You know, or <laughs> I mean, it's got to be more content that they're going to need, right? And I always had this idea in my head to take the old sports reporter show that used to be on ESPN, right? And turn it into a visual show. So mm-hmm. actually have photographers talk about moments like, like the reporters were doing, but yeah. show it visually. So I actually approached Tim Harris at the Lakers and he loved the idea. And then he sent me over to Time Warner of doing this show called Through the Lens, yeah. which uh-huh. is still running, where I sit with a Laker personality and talk about their career through my photos. and. I didn't know I'd take to it so well, honestly. And I just love talking to my friends, James Worthy, Gary Beatty, Jeannie Buss, didn't matter, Phil Jackson. Um, and we, I, I don't know, it just became a very natural thing for me to the point where Norm Pattis, my great friend who sits courtside, uh, who owned Podcast One, approached me and said, Andy, I love this Laker show you're doing, you know, this TV thing. I got to have it on my podcast network which podcasting had just started to kind of grow. And I looked at him and said, Norm, I, you know, it's a visual show. I'm showing pictures. He goes, that doesn't matter. It's all storytelling. It's all, you know, relationships. And he was right. So we launched it on podcast one and it's called Legends of Sport. Yep. And uh, it's a platform I started Great with some, some friends and some partners. And we, we just are in our third season now. We just did our 125th podcast. And, uh, That's amazing, isn't it? It's super fun for me. I absolutely love it. We're partners with the LA Times now. And um, a lot of good things on the horizon once we get out of this pandemic. But I love podcast, to hear it. Can't wait. I tell you guys, I was doing the podcast once a week from my hotel room, which is about the size of this room, which is <laughs> a little office we built in our garage. I was doing it once a week from the bubble, which was crazy. Wow. And if I could do a podcast from the bubble, you know, I can do it anywhere. Right. anywhere. <laughs> exactly. And it's not just basketball. You know, it's it's all sport. Tomorrow I'm, in, I'm interviewing actually the, the, these two women, these sisters who won the gold medal um, in Olympic hockey, you know, oh, and, and are, are striving for equity in sports and mm-hmm. uh, women's um, all the women's issues in sports um, are very mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart because, you know, I got three daughters right. and, uh you know, we've touched on social justice issues, mental health issues. So it gives me a platform to really kind of expand beyond sports with people that I really, really enjoy talking to. Awesome. And you do a wonderful job. Thank you, guys. You know, I just want to say this, Andy. I mean, I know you, you have to go in a moment. Um, Stat Pat, what I love about, you know, my partner Stat Pat is he, he knows. And the reason why we call him Stat Pat is because he knows moments. <laughs> Right. He he can tell you literally who magic through the ball to to make that shot. And he yeah. will he will verbally visualize that to you so you can see it. <laughs> the compliment to you, you take those iconic moments and it's just they're, they're just so amazing. Cause I'm amazed that he's able to describe it. But I'm more <laughs> amazed that you're able that you're able sure. to grab and capture it. So well, you are you are amazing in, in every way. Well, thank you guys. You know, we all we lo- all love this game, right? I mean, yeah. without saying, I'm so fortunate that you know the NBA entrusted me to be you know on the court that I earned my way there, you know, and and now I'm trying to pay that forward with the the new generation of photographers throughout the league, and uh, and you know, 
I just love being around the game. I really do. I love I, I love the sport. And I grew to love the sport. I didn't grow up loving NBA basketball, quite frankly. But I was a hockey guy growing up. Mm-hmm. But um, it uh, it grew on me, to say the least. <laughs> and we, we truly have the greatest athletes in the world. I mean, I don't think you could contest that. You know, no. there are athletes in other sports. But as a group, as a sport, I think yeah. our, our athletes are above and beyond. And they're marketed like no other league. <laughs> right. Like no other league. So before we um, last question, get you out of here. Um, so, um, do you have any advice for aspiring uh, aspiring uh, photographers? Uh, what is the one thing that they need to have to be successful in the business? Well, you got to have one of the tenets of the Mamba mentality, which is passion. You just have to be passionate for what you do. If if that's the goal, it's to become a photographer, right? You have a dream. That, that then becomes a goal, right? You have to turn that into your destiny. I talk about this all the time when I talk to students that I teach or young photographers or interns that take that dream, turn it into a goal, make it your reality and then your destiny and just keep shooting. Just if you love basketball, shoot basketball. If you love baseball, then shoot baseball. But also seek out people whose work you admire, who could mentor you. You know, no one's going to say no. I, I tell you, I get calls and emails from people all all the time. I never say no, because I remember being a young photographer myself and calling up a guy like Neil Leifer, who didn't know me from anybody. And, you know, he took me under his wing when I was 19, 20 years old and still is a mentor and a friend, you know, 40 something years later. So, you know, I think um, I think the fact that everybody has a, a camera, you know, in, in their phone. Sure. Is wonderful. It's done. It's done incredible things for photography as a craft. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be a professional photographer, you got to seek out people and, and look at everybody's work that, that you admire and uh, don't stop shooting. And when you think that you've done enough, like Kobe, never stop shooting, you know, just keep shooting. And, you know, there'll be roadblocks. There'll be all kinds of pitfalls and things that you're going to have to deal with. But if you have that passion, that passion will help drive you forward and and open doors for you you know i i had my door the door open for me a little bit there was a little crack in the door at the forum back when yep. i was you know young photographer and uh had a little brooklyn moxie in me or whatever but i had that passion that, that you know just push that door open a little bit more maybe i was a little annoying at first but you know <laughs> they couldn't get rid of me so i what it took using my stuff <laughs> yeah that is awesome Amazing. and thank you again for joining us so much uh there is there's one quick segment that we do here at the, to close every single show uh and we're going to ask you to take part really quick here uh this is called money mike's out of bounds and money mike is going to pose a question and he just wants to know if his opinion is out of bounds or not money mike you have the mic so Andy, <laughs> yeah. So look, I, I was watching um, uh, UCLA in the Elite Eight, uh, excited about going to the Final Four, and they had they had confetti and they were swimming around in it, and it, it was an amazing game yesterday. But they they ended up losing. Mm-hmm. One, this is my own personal thing. One thing I hate to see is for teams to celebrate when they have not won the championship. Right. So am I out of bounds for saying that UCLA celebrated too early? 
um, <laughs> and because they didn't finish the job. <laughs> no comment is acceptable. Well, okay. <laughs> no, that's a tough one. But I think of Kobe, you know, and Kobe would never would celebrate. Not. Yeah, never until until that final buzzer and they won that trophy, right? Um, you know what? I I would say that that you're not that. I would say you're out of bounds thinking that they celebrated too early. I'll tell you why, because this college and first of all, there's so much emotion. Nobody picked them to go past maybe the second round. Right. Right, Look at the teams teams that they beat. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, it was a heartbreaker yesterday. Oh oh, oh, yeah, it was. And then, and, and nobody remembers who won the silver silver medal. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think that they deserve to celebrate. I think it was, you know, when they beat Michigan, I mean, that was unbelievable. That was yeah. a quiet story. Yeah. So that was amazing. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. Andy, thank you so much. Could you please let everybody know the best way to keep up with you or to follow you online if you'd like, please? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, the podcast Legends of Sport is out on all major platforms and, uh, we also have a YouTube channel called Legends of Sport, so yep. you can see the the video version and the audio version. And then um, at Legends of Sport on Instagram and Twitter, and then my handle for my photography, which I post every night after every game, at ADB Photo Inc. So uh, we do a lot of cross platforming, but Legends of Sport is really what I'm really promoting and pushing out right now. Yeah. And you do great work. Again, Andy, thank you. Thank you for the book, the signed book. The listener is going to be very lucky. Have a awesome. wonderful Sunday evening. We can't see, can't wait to see the new photos coming out as we continue on. And personally, I can't wait to see you very soon, hopefully in Staples, even April if it's just 15. the back of your head. Even if it's April just the back 15. of your head. Let's go. Uh, I might yell something because there won't be that yeah. many people. You may actually hear me. I'll say hello. <laughs> He's going to yeah. say, hey, stop. Sim stop. <laughs> and you're like, who? He knows not that. I will not bug you while you're yeah. working. No, we're right? not doing that. No. Yeah. I will no. not tap you on the yeah. shoulder. I promise that. It'd be, it'd be like halftime or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. You guys are awesome. Thanks so uh, much. Thank you and so much. Being Andy. great fans like you are, you, you know, it's it's wonderful. And it's wonderful for the Laker community out there. And, and I'm proud to be part of that. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. You have a wonderful night. All thank right. You too, fellas. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As usual, guys. Great guest. Andy's outstanding. Awesome. Shared some amazing stories. I mean, you know, it's just so he's so iconic in in what he, you know, went and experienced, number one. I mean, he has all these photos of you know when, <laughs> what, what's gone through his lens right like one of his many lenses yeah. but it's just amazing that right, it's I all mean, yeah okay think about it i mean his pictures are are posters that are hanging on walls they're murals i have murals a christina of, painting on my wall right, of right. his of his pictures absolutely yeah. i mean it's it's so amazing what he has been able to just show and this and the stories behind it is he, he <laughs> He knows it, and he's yeah. humble, but he is most definitely the photographer right. of he, the modern NBA. Of he, If you have a vision of what the NBA is, it's because you've seen his pictures, and yeah. it just is that way. I mean, and, and I'm going to tell you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about, he was talking about how closely he worked with uh, you know, David Stern and yeah. how that that partnership is – it's like, I mean, who, I mean, obviously we know the contributions that David Stern made for the NBA and to have the vision of, you know, Andy Bernstein and his pictures, 
you know that he's basically just, you know, shooting the vision from David Stern. And obviously, it's like he's like David Stern said, that picture with Jordan, I mean, with Magic and Bird, you know, locking arms, which we all as Laker fans all love because mm, that's right. just the greatest picture that we've seen. Um, but it's just, it's, you know, you just have that. It's just, uh, one thing I also thought was really impressive is the fact that before the digital age, when he able to take, like he took this and he took those pictures and he was taking it with the regular and he had to take it on film. Had that faith, and that then he comes come out, and then he comes back, and he's like, "Damn, like, that's that, like that came that's up. good. I'm good, <laughs> I'm real good, I'm you know? real good." So exactly, it just, yeah. it just it really, it really. I mean, obviously, we had the pleasure of being able to that, but that's yeah. uh, it's honor. I'm so disappointed. I didn't even ask him about him being in the Hall of Fame. Oh, he's there. We, we, we'll have to get him back. We'll get him we could have spent we could have spent four hours yeah, with yeah, Andy, yeah. We got and, and we we'll have him back on for sure. Yeah, there'll be plenty more to talk Absolutely. about. No doubt about it. Okay, so everybody who's listening again, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, uh, Twitter, um, the Good News Network, or especially Clubhouse. That's right. Now's the time. You need to text two two eight two eight Lakers to two two eight two eight. This is your last opportunity. I mean, to, y'all don't want this book. Yep, this is your last. <laughs> Are you serious? Right it now? is signed. Go ahead and read what, <laughs> what the insignia says. This is it's right there, actually. Oh. Right there. Go ahead and read that. The Mama Legacy lives forever. Best regards, Andy Bernstein. Come it's on. there. You got to get this book. Again, all you Definitely. have to do, text Lakers to 22828. You're going to get a request for your email. You're signing up for our email list. Then you need to be in the clubhouse, Los Angeles Lakers Follow fan club room. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram. You are good. If we have your email, if you're in the clubhouse room, after we end the show, which is coming up here in just a minute, we're going live on Clubhouse. We will continue live on Clubhouse. If you're in there, you're going to win this book. We're going to send it out to you along with a shirt, a mask, some stickers, and some air fresheners. You're going to get a whole pack from us. So uh, this was a great show, guys. Yeah. Uh, this was one of our amazing episodes, one yeah. of my favorites. And yeah. he's amazing, right? Yeah. Congratulations to Stanford. You know. Congratulations to Stanford. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there were current events, but we had to go and, and- – Talk yeah, this, this is, is the Andy yeah, show. This is, this I mean, is the Andy show for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, Andy deserves that. Right. So, on behalf of Stat Pat, Money Mike, Simsta, this is the Profanity Nation, voice of the professional fan. Thank you for joining us. As usual, we are here every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. You can follow us on Instagram, The Profanity Nation. Twitter is Profanity underscore The. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us just about everywhere. Google The Profanity Nation. Go to our website. But most importantly, text Lakers to 22828 right now. Give us your email. You will qualify to win. Get on to Clubhouse. We are going there right now. Clubhouse for the after party of the show. And somebody in there is going to win the Los Angeles Lakers fan club on Clubhouse. Thank you, everybody. We are out. Peace. Peace. Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And Stat Pat to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simster, he putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation, we running the town. Yeah, it's the Profanity Nation. Hey guys, you got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family-owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant, and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley, and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. 
They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org.